Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. another edition of the No Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Carter Carls. It is Wednesday, November 16th. We're three days away from Florida State kicking it off against Louisiana, a noon Saturday game at Doak Campbell Stadium. But more importantly, Florida State's got three games coming up against the Florida Gators. Got women's basketball on Wednesday, men's basketball on Friday, and then the big finale, Florida State football team will host Florida next Friday, Black Friday, at Doe Campbell Stadium. So we're going to get into all three of those games. We're going to get into the Louisiana game as well. But before we get to all that, we've got an interview lined up with Florida State soccer coach Brian Penske with their current run in the postseason, uh, talking about all that. So without further ado, here is Florida State soccer coach Brian Penske. Yeah, so um, I'm here with um, Coach Brian Penske for the Florida State women's soccer um, team, and we're going to talk a little bit about how the season's gone and, you know, how everything's been for him. So start off, um, Brian, how you doing today? Doing well. Thanks for having me on, Essen. Yeah, so, you know, um, when the Florida State job came open, like, you know, what was the process of going into, like, you know, applying for it and, you know, seeing if you wanted a job and how that came about? Yeah, I... Um... You know, the the day after, obviously, lot, lots of shockwaves when, when, when Mark um, announced that he was leaving. Um, um, the day afterwards, I <coughs> had a conversation with Jim Curry, um, who oversaw and continues to oversee um, the sport of soccer here. And um, I knew Jim from my days at the University of Maryland, and um, he kind of intimated and, and, and asked that day, would, you know, would there be an interest level on my part? And, um, you know, I said, I'd rather, you know, fit into this conversation right now as a, as a, as a person that's going to help him find a new coach for Florida State soccer. And uh, that's what the next kind of three weeks was, um, for, you know, between Jim and myself, we talked about different candidates and I, I threw out some names to him and, um, I had uh, verbally reached uh, uh, an agreement with Tennessee um, on a contract extension. Um, I just uh, um, hadn't gotten the document yet, so I hadn't signed anything. Um, and uh, and about three weeks into it, I kind of started having you know some thoughts about uh, you know um, giving this a shot and you know taking a chance, taking taking a risk in my. Um, you know, in my in my professional life, and uh, um, so Jim and I connected again, and I said, "Look, you know, if if you're still looking for a coach, I'd, I'd love to have a conversation about it." And um, about a day or two later, we set up a Zoom, and and then uh, the rest is history. Yeah, I mean, we talked about it a little bit this year. You know, you get on campus. Was it? You said April, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, students are doing finals and getting ready to leave. And, but you were able to meet with the team the first night on the job. What was that meeting like? You know, cause you mentioned, um, Beta Olson had just question after question yeah. after question. Beata. Yeah. 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 It was, um, I think it was actually, um, the first night of finals, uh, Monday, April 25th. And, um, you know, it's like when, when you're in the moment and in a time period, time can seem like it's forever but then the more you get removed it's such a small small amount of time and you know it was almost four weeks to the day when mark had left and for them it's that seemed like forever totally understandably so right 
And for them, their, their, their sadness and their wounds were still open from that kind of sudden heartbreak. And it was not at all a situation where, you know, kids are sitting in the room, frothing at the mouth, excited to meet their <laughs> new coach, right? They were like, all right, let's see what this guy's about. And, uh, you know, whatever, here we go. Let's see what our new reality is going to be. And, um, um, and all of them had a lot of questions, understandably so, right? And it was, it, was, it was kind of a short meeting. It was only about 45 minutes or an hour because a couple of them had to leave. They had sack responsibilities and they had to study for finals. Um, but I got to visit with them individually, each of them the next couple of days. And um, as we've discussed before, uh, about 50% of them, probably more than that, close to 60% of them were in the transfer portal and they had to see their processes out and which I fully <clears throat> understood and kind of joked about in my opening press conference that I had just gone in the transfer portal myself <laughs> and left the University of Tennessee and um, of course, every kid needs to, you know, they need to make decisions for themselves. We all, we all need to make decisions for ourselves. And that, that can be seen or perceived as selfish, but it's, it's human. It's life. It's real, right? And uh, we got to look after ourselves. We're all part of a team, but we also have to take care of ourselves within the team scope. Yeah, I mean, so um, what was the next few months like? Because obviously they leave and... I don't know if soccer doesn't have like no contact period like football does sometimes like so what is that process like you know after yeah I mean it was <clears throat> it was a balance between giving them time um and space um getting away from here I think was a really good thing for them because the prior month was really emotionally exhausting um and the whole year was exhausting right going all the way to the college cup that's coming out of the spring college cup from the spring before I mean these kids have been through a lot and uh so to get away and go to their respective homes and go to different parts of the country or different parts of the world and, 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 and you know, train, train in different environments and be with their families and discuss things while also, you know, being on some Zoom calls, text exchanges, phone calls with me and figure out what they wanted to do moving forward was all healthy. And um, some kids decided to, obviously we know, you know, Yuji and Madrill decided to, to go professional. Um, you know, Pavlisko um, had a had, had a um, you know hip situation that needed to be prepared, repaired, and so she decided to move forward with that and retire from the sport. Um, and then a couple kids transferred out, right, because they didn't know what they were getting into here and felt like there were there was a better place out there for them. And um, thankfully, twenty one of them decided to return and give. Actually, twenty decided to return, and we brought one transfer in in Ekagini and. Um, um, we've, you know, obviously been able to put together a pretty decent team. Um, you know, then, then you fast forward to August, right? And the kids have been away that I think they're happy and they're good over the summer and kind of coming to terms with things. But then we had to kind of have another meeting and several meetings because now you start your new reality, right? In August, okay, you're on the practice field and Mark's not here, right? Mike's not here. Ema's not here. This is our new team and this is our new staff and this is weird, right? And, uh, and I think that's all been a process like we've talked about in other conversations. Um, you know, it's just, it's all different. And um, we had some stumbles, right, um, early on. And uh, I, while you hate to go through those stumbles, those, you know, um, you appreciate life and you appreciate accomplishments more when you go through some hard times and we went through some hard times and we grew together as a team and we talked through a lot of things as a team and um obviously you know so far we've come out on the other side and uh gotten to know each other and um i i'd like to think the kids have respected our approach to 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 their situations and we've done so we've tried to do so with sensitivity and openness and empathy and um and now here we are. We're in a situation where, you know, we're on the stage where these kids have been for, for many years, and um, we're just trying to finish the job. I mean, going back to the summer, like you mentioned, you know, um, kind of on pins and needles as a coach, kind of see who's coming back, who's not. So <clears throat> who was that first call or text or, you know, whatever you got that kind of like, you know, made you feel comfortable, like, okay, this is going to work out, you know, because I'm guessing it was probably a lot of anxiousness, you know. Oh, yeah, that's a great question. Um so it was actually the end of May, and I was up in Georgia uh, going to visit with one of our committed kids and going to watch her at a training session. 
and I'm walking out to the field and I open my email and it's an email from compliance saying that Lauren Flynn has withdrawn her name from the transfer portal and therefore will be returning. And so I will forever remember walking up to that field in Atlanta and opening that email. And, and honestly, at first my, my, my heart, you know, went into my throat or throat went into my heart, whatever the phrase is. I thought it was the opposite. I thought it meant that she was gone um, when I when I read the email, and that was just probably my anxiety talking <laughs> there. Um, but it did, you know, when I read it about forty five thousand times, it said that she's withdrawn her name, and I shortly called her afterwards, and we had a good talk, and and then I thought honestly that 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 the floodgates would open, and that that a lot of them would return, um, that she was just kind of the beginning, and and kids would follow, but. Back to what I said before, every kid is their, their, their own person with their own story and their own you know, life to make decisions. And it really, uh, the last one didn't really decide till mid-June. So it was really another three or four weeks where we had to stress about who's gonna be on our team? What's our roster gonna look like, right? How many kids are we gonna have? All those things. And um, um, it, was, it, was, <laughs> it was a wild time, right? Uh, because you're trying to re- re- recruit them slash re-recruit them, but not really, you know, um, they don't know me from a hole in the wall and totally trying to respect their decisions and the, the different predicaments they're all in. Um, and uh, at the end of the day, they had to make the decisions that, they, that were best for them. And for the ones that decided to come back, I hope that, you know, when, when our season is over, they look back and are, are happy and proud of the decision that they made to, to stay at Florida State and continue to give the, this a chance. And I told them after we won the ACC championship that they showed a, a tremendous amount of toughness that weekend um, against Notre Dame and then against North Carolina. I said, but the ultimate toughness was coming back here. And um, <coughs> it's not that it's easy to leave, um, but when, when, when you have a program that's as, as accomplished as this is, to come back and to put yourself out there again and potentially fail, that's hard, right? That's tough, right? That's, that's guts. That shows a lot of courage and a lot of guts. And these kids had a lot of courage and a lot of guts in, in coming back here and kind of putting their name out there again and, uh, and, and trying to win again. And uh, so it's nice to see um, the fruits of that decision and the fruits of their labor so far paying off. You mentioned Lauren. Um, you know, um, as a, you know, you. I'm not sure if you knew her from because you coached your sister. You mentioned at Tennessee, so or was that Tennessee or? Yep. Yeah. Yep. So um, that was kind of an interesting, like you know, dynamic. Like, did you know her a little bit more because of this um, sister, or like, yeah. you know, what was that like? I did. I did. And um, um, did you, you know, try to recruit her at Tennessee. Oh, <laughs> uh, we did absolutely. And I remember I was recruiting sitting on the floor in the hotel when she called to tell me she was going to uh, Florida State and uh, was obviously disappointed but incredibly happy for her that this opportunity you know had, had come her way and so I've obviously then followed her career here right closely because of my relationship with her sister and her family and and a little bit her and but so it's a, it's the same thing no different right I wanted Lauren to 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 return and I told Lauren in that first meeting I addressed a bunch of them individually in that in that team meeting um and I told Lauren that she was in my you know humble opinion potentially the MVP of the national championship game the way she defended some of those BYU kids she was phenomenal and she her growth as a player and um um you know I wanted her back but I wanted I didn't want a beggar to come back and I didn't want to beg anyone to come back. I wanted her them all to make a decision that they were going to be comfortable with and them owning the decision and um and that's what allowed me in the end to feel most comfortable about all their decisions because they were given proper time, no deadlines, no pressure, no nothing. They had to do their due diligence, however whatever that process looked like for each of them and uh including Lauren Flynn. But uh certainly my connection to that family and, and, and her sister Megan um was uh was a lot of relief uh, because she was also and then you go to the field, right? She was the only returning back from last year's team, 
right, with Madrill, right, right, deciding to leave and Pav deciting to leave. And then obviously Gabby Carl and, and, and Jalen already gone. Um, so getting her back was, was obviously a big deal. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to try talking to um, Lauren and then hopefully Megan as well. So kind of do a feature on that. So, um, you know, what kind of player is Megan? What was she like, you know, compared to how Lauren is? Yeah, you know, um, Megan wa- was like her sister. I mean, La- Lauren was a winger her whole life. And then uh, after the fall of 20, going into the spring of 21, I think it was Malia Berkeley who left at the winter break. And so they needed another center back. And so they put Lauren there. And... Um, converted her um we actually had done that a little bit with her sister megan megan was a a winger like lauren true left-footed player sweet left foot very fast um we tried uh, megan at left back a little bit but decided you know that she's she's a better you know attacking player and getting serves in the box and um, both are highly intelligent kids Um, both take their academics very seriously Um, both incredibly driven conscientious kids the most successful season in Tennessee soccer history was 2018. We went to the Elite Eight and lost to Stanford right before Stanford lost to these guys um, in the College Cup. Um, and that was Megan's fifth year um, at Tennessee. And she was um, one of the leaders of that team. And I tell Megan to this day, one of the reasons why we went on that run and played so long was because Megan was dying for her career not to end um, because she loved it so much. And um, um, she had many assists in that and in, in, in the SEC play that year. Um, also in the NCAA tournament had, had an amazing assist against, I think maybe actually two against uh, against um, Texas A&M um, in our Sweet 16 game that got us to the Elite Eight. Um, and, and funny story about Megan right now, she's been doing Teach for America in Hawaii for the last three years. And um, she just came back and literally called me um, middle of August, um, had just moved into her apartment in Charlottesville to go to um, get a master's um, in political science um, at UVA and was like, I just moved into my apartment at 1 a.m. last night, but I can't get soccer out of my head. I love it. I pl- I've been playing pickup for the last three years. I've been training with Washington Spirit Reserve Team this summer. What do I do? And so I inter- in- introduced her to an agent. Um, this is all in August. And a week later, she went and met with her advisor at UVA and withdrew from UVA. And she is now playing professional soccer and uh, um, got her admissions um, deferred for up to two years at UVA. So she will eventually re-enroll. But it's that kind of competitiveness that that whole Flynn family has that where, again, you want a Flynn on your team because those <laughs> kids, they, they, they hate to lose, right? They die to win. They hate to lose. And uh, certainly Lauren's been that here for several years yeah and um, you know you referenced the article a couple weeks ago about you know how you had to blend your style with what mark was doing here to you know get, get the players to buy in and you know because and that was a tight rope to walk in because you're not walk, you know people can point you walked into a situation with a lot of talent but that was not an easy one with you know uh, trying to keep florida state's culture alive and trying to bring your culture here right yeah um no question, and this program has always been the benchmark. This program, Virginia and Stanford, I think have been kind of the 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 the, the, the top three programs in terms of playing the beautiful game and, and keeping the ball and 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 playing attract an attractive brand. And certainly, you know, we didn't want to come in here and, and ruffle that. And I knew because, like I said, I was talking to Jim Curry in those three weeks, four weeks in, in April. Um, I knew how important style of play was to this group and finding a coach that was going to not turn Florida State soccer upside down. And, um, and so, and we talked a lot about that in that first meeting at the end of April and, um, um, and then not just at the end of April, but that back half of August, as we went through, you know, the tying, um, um, match against South Carolina, the tie against Auburn. We had, we had some real heart to heart video, uh, sessions and conversations about, uh, philosophy of the game, right. And how the game, how you want to play the game, how the game should be played, what the game looks like, some great talks. Um, I hope the kids feel that they were great talks. I, I, I do. Um, and I think there has been a blend. I, I would say that we still play Flor- the Florida State brand. If, if people watched, if people watched 
our ACC final the other day. They saw, saw us, the goal we scored in the second half that put us up. You know, Flynn and uh, Gilchrist and a little bit of Roque passed the ball around about 12 times in the back. Um, had the center forward for Carolina chasing. Then all of a sudden we, we blended it with a big ball over the top and then connected three or four passes and scored a goal, right? That's a blend. That's a blend. Um, starting with, you know, vintage Mark Kerkorian in Florida State. And uh, that's how we want to play. And um, I think playing that way is, is, is the most challenging to play against because I've also played against teams, <clears throat> and Florida State has not been this, but that just keep the ball but never really threaten your goal, right? They just pass for passing sake, but it's all sideways and they never really go with it, right? They don't want to ever, you know, pardon the expression, slit your throat, right? But it's terrible when a team wants to pass you, pass you to death, but also put balls behind you and make your back line uncomfortable. If all of a sudden when your back line is uncomfortable, that is when a team is most stressed, the players on the field feel the most stress, and certainly the people on the sidelines feel the most stress. So we, we, we want to run kids into the ground um, throughout the field, but certainly make the backs and the goalkeeper uncomfortable. Yeah, and so let's just do a quick rapid fire. You know, um, what was the most fun <clears throat> win of the year? Uh, ACC final, un- <laughs> unquestionably. <laughs> the revenge factor obviously played in there. No doubt. No uh, doubt. Who's, the, who's the, like the, the alpha leader of this team? Leilani Nesbeth. Who's the um, funniest person on the team? In a quiet kind of way, Jody Brown, but I probably still lay. Lay makes me laugh. <laughs> Who has been like you know the person? Who's like the mother of the team? Like you know that cheers everyone up after like a Notre Dame or a UNC loss? You know? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. Um, the mother hen of the group is obviously um, Clara. You know, but someone who speaks and tries to lift the group and inspire the group at times is Beata Olson. Um, I think Heather Payne is really growing into that role of saying some really important leadership things. Jenna Neiswanger obviously weighs in and says says things, you know, kind of an inspirational, let's go kind of person goes back to Leilani. Another quiet, steady voice of reason um, and uplifting and positivity is Lauren Flynn. Kind of, you know, this is cheesy, but takes a village, and it's true. We have a village. And then um, who's the most improved player since day one? Um, I would probably say Ron EY. Um, And it's not that her soccer has improved, but her self-belief has improved. And uh, um, I think she's just relaxed now. And she's just playing. And she's not thinking. Um, And, uh, um, you know... uh, she, she's, you know, the sun comes up every morning and Ron is our left back every game and she is as dependable as the sunrise. And uh, um, I, I think she's starting to carry herself like she belongs at this level and can play at this level and be a consistent player within our group. Who could be the biggest surprise in the um, NCAA tournament the rest of the way? Mm. Mm. You know, <clears throat> Um, I, I, obviously, we've, we've won enough games and, and performed at a high enough level that I don't know that there's going to be any surprises. But one kid who hasn't scored in a little while um, um, for us, you know, is, um, you know, is, is, is Heather, right? She scored on some free kicks, but she was close the other day in the run of play. Um, Heather Payne, obviously. Um you know, she scored on some, some some penalties, but her ability to attack and help us going forward is really a big deal. And uh, and she's starting to get a little more confidence penetrating off the dribble inside and taking some shots from distance. She had a little bit on the on the on the corner kick the other day. Um, she had the, the, the side volley that was cleared off the line. Um, she's itching to score in the run of play, and I think it's going to come. And um, she's, I've said it all year, she's a massive part of our team, and uh, she'll continue to be great for us. And I'll say the hardest one for last, um, team MVP. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <clears throat> um, um, I will refrain from saying anything there. However, um, when Mia Justice is on the sidelines, um, I would say it's Mia Justice because um, her voice and her energy and her enthusiasm and her organization um, from our bench 
is a big deal. Um, she obviously won a game for us at Pitt, which kept us alive for the ACC championship. But then, um, you know, we joked about it before the start of the game the other day. She's like, can I have another chair? Can we pull up another chair with Bobby and Aaron um, so that I can be on the staff? And I'm like, we already got a chair for you right here, Mia. Um, <laughs> just sit between me and Bobby. It's perfect. So um, that, that kind of energy from the bench is a big deal, especially when you're Mia Justice and you're one of the best goalkeepers in the country and you want to be on the field all the time. And when you guys have a shorter bench as well anyways in the first place, so it helps to have that vocal, <clears throat> you know. Oh, the other day we did intros for the uh, for the Florida Gulf Coast game. Um, Maria's gone with Portugal. And so we have, you know, 11 kids out there um, doing the intros. And then we only have now eight on the bench. And I'm like, gosh, this is hilarious <laughs> to look at just the nothingness that is over there on the sideline compared to other teams. Okay, you just heard Essen's interview with Florida State soccer coach Brian Pinsky. I'm now joined by Essen to talk about a bunch of Gators uh, and Seminoles games coming up. Uh, we, we've got Florida State. Florida women's basketball on Wednesday at Florida State. We've got Florida State, Florida men's basketball this Friday. And then next Friday, we've got Florida State, Florida at Doak Campbell Stadium. Three home games for Florida State. Um, Let's first just, let's talk about each of them individually. Let's talk about men's basketball. Essen, I know you were there covering the Troy game Monday. Another another loss uh, for this team, dropping to 0-3. Uh, first time really officially since 2000-2001 season, I believe. First time under Leonard Hamilton, they've started 0-3. Essen, just your general impressions from that game. Yeah, I mean, um, oof. <laughs> um, you know, and we talked about this off camera a little bit, you know, off um, the, um, you know, offline about this a little bit. They're lacking that alpha male that, you know, that alpha leader that can get them to, like, hey, let's get together, let's get our stuff together and go win this game. They were down by four, um, four points. No, they are down by three points, 64-61 with 358 left. And, like, oh, they got, you know, they got this game. And then all of a sudden they get a rebound and Fletcher throws the ball out of bounds. Yeah. On a chance they had to probably make a cut to a one-point game. And then after that they had another possession. I don't think – I think they turned it over again and then – Finally, they hit the three, and it was 67-61, but less than three minutes left. And I think at that point, I was like, All right, I'm just writing this one, This one's over. Yeah, I, you know, I was there at the game, and I was I – was, I tried to look at, like, the body language of the players. Just like, okay, are, are they mad about losing? Are they trying to play inspired here? It just didn't seem like they – really had it like it's it just seemed like they were hanging their heads and kind of moping around a little bit it it's so different than the florida state men's basketball teams we've been accustomed to watching where it's all about effort it's all about hustle it's all about just giving it your all and we've seen this team all year not block out you know when shots are up you know and and just make puzzling mistakes on defense, not closing out, not not defending the perimeter well, um, it it's kind of stunning. It's it's so much different again than just what we've seen, and um, I know they've been shorthanded, but um, you know, I've, it's 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 interesting because I think a lot of the feeling around the fan base right now is, well, if I, if I had Bob Miller, we had Jalen Ganey, things would be way different. Or at least they'd be way better. And I think to a certain extent, they would be better. I think Jalen Ganey gives them a lot of what they need. Bubba Miller is a freshman who could potentially be a first-round pick in the NBA draft. But this team has a lot of problems, and we'll get into it. But I think even if you add those two guys in, the, in this team from day one, I don't think this is a 20-win team. It's certainly not a tournament team. Uh, you're probably talking about a team that wins 16 or 17 games at full strength. And without these guys, now you're talking about, I don't know if this team can get to 10 wins this season, uh, which, again, just crazy. And, um, you know, last year I really think you could blame it on injuries because when they were healthy, we saw them beat Duke and win some really impressive games. They swept Miami, who made the Elite Eight. But then – 
you know, the, the injury bug just got out of control. This time around, I don't know if you can fully blame it. I think this team just has a lot of fractures in it that even if they were at full strength, it's still not a 21 team. Yeah, I mean, um, and the thing about you mentioned about Baba Miller and Ganey is if one of those is an alpha leader, maybe, maybe that you know gets a team to the next level because that's what they're lacking right now. That's their biggest weakness. And we've talked about this. The talent is not lacking. The, you know, the skills, the talent is not lacking on this team. It's the cohesiveness that's just not there. The, the you know, like you mentioned, I don't know if the desire to go after rebounds after play defense is there. Um, we've seen a lot of hero ball, which is just weird to see in a um, offense for um, um, Hamilton. And, you know, it's not something where you're accustomed to seeing. It's a lot of like one on ones, and everyone stands around. Um, there was one possession where they hit a three pointer. It, it looks good. The end result looks great, but they do the ball like four or five times frantically until they finally accidentally got to open guy and hit a shot. It was just a weird, just a weird sequence. Um, I don't want to say they're not interested, but at times they're disinterested in playing defense. Yeah, and, and some of it too, I think, is skill. I mean, I don't, I don't want to, like, and and some of it too. Again, it's inexperience. You know, you're, you're putting out so many freshmen out there. They he's telling them to switch one through five and last a whole game. You know, when I talked to Leonard Hamilton before the season. He told me that even his most experienced players, the Trent Forsts of the world, can only effectively play in this system for about 24 minutes in a 40-minute game. And when you're playing seven guys, and on, on Monday it was really six guys. Um, really five in the second, because um, um, Matthew Cleveland fouled out with five minutes left in the second yeah. half. So down the stretch, you only have five available players. No one can come out, and you you know you you played the entire game already. It's a forty minute game. I think um, two players played thirty six minutes. I think it was Fletcher and Green played thirty six minutes apiece. Yeah, no, it's it's brutal. And Fletcher's been hurt for a long time. He hadn't been practicing all that much. He's kind of got a back injury, and I mean it's it's not a system where you can do that. And and they also don't have a true center right now. Naheem McLeod out out with an injury. Um, so you're relying on on a freshman Cam Corin to to kind of carry the load right for you right now, and you're doing a lot of four guard, um, a lot of four guard stuff, uh, and the defense is just lacking. They they don't have the the defenders that you're accustomed to watching. They don't have the rebounders that you're accustomed to watching. I really uh, like yeah. watching Cam Fletcher. I think he gives a lot of effort, and I think he can rebound well. You saw him. I think he had a double double, but Elsewhere, I mean, there there are just so many problems, and and I mean, um, like your point, you know, Green, great shooter. We saw his upside, seven three pointers, tied his career high. Yeah. Um, last night, you know, and he's a very talented player, great shooter. Um, if you remember, um, you know, Hamilton told us before the season he might be the best shooter to have in program history, is what they project him to be. So, and you can definitely see that potential, Tim. But yeah. the defensive end, he just is not a defender, you know, and that's part of the thing is like, he's got to play big minutes and I'm not sure if it's someone like him, you could have him defend one through five where he has to switch yeah. because he's going to get beat so often. Same with um, Naheem McLeod when he's in the game. We saw it against Stetson where, you know, every time um, he got switched out to um, the outside, they would either drive by him easily or be able to um, step back in a three-pointer. Yep. Yeah, and and I mean... It's just hard to see because you know this is a front-loaded schedule, and these three games are supposed to be three of your biggest gimmies. I mean, you got the tournament coming up, you got Florida coming up, uh, Purdue, Virginia, Duke, four conference games in December. All these games are going to be here before you know it. Without Baba Miller, he's not going to be back till January. Um, Chandler he's Jackson, we'll see. I'm sorry, he's back on birthday against Wake Forest. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, on my birthday. So oh, oh, there you go. Yeah, nice. Yeah. So, so yeah, he he. Uh, but yeah, that's January, and by then, I mean you're talking about probably having double digit losses by that point, and yeah. I, I really think looking forward to just next season and the future of the program, you have to wonder, like, what can this program do as far as changing 
its ways. Leonard Hamilton has got this system that is brilliant and has worked for so many years. I mean, the 2020 team was was robbed of potentially winning a national title. Uh, it works. But when you don't have the players and you don't have the, the, the bodies to do it, you can't just fit a square peg in a round hole. You have to adjust a little bit. I think you're starting to see that with some of the zone defense and the, the four guard stuff. I think you're, you're, you're seeing it a little, not, not always switching one through five. But um, next season, one, one thing that I'm curious about is they've only taken just a few transfers in recent memory. You know, Kayla Mills, Cam Fletcher, Darren Green. Uh, but, but beyond that, not a lot of guys. And to fix your inexperience, get, get some transfers. So I, I, maybe that's the fix. I don't know. But I mean, um, some, of the, some of the fix is also just the experience that they'll get this year, regardless of how the season plays out. Is some of these guys will be second, third year in the system, which is going to help a lot. Because that's the thing about Hamilton's system is, you know, um, he mentioned the other day the, um, at the press conference yesterday, is, you know, a lot of times he's had juniors and seniors he's depended on for to run the system. Yep. Unfortunately for him, that, you know, for whatever reason, they don't have a bunch of juniors and seniors or guys who have been in the system for three, four years. So next yeah. year when you get more of that, I think the team will automatically – because like, like we talked about, I don't think it's a major skill issue. I think it's just a major, like, you know – Finding one or two pieces that will fill up a, a few more deficiencies, and so I think next year, and you know, if they have three straight years of injury luck like this, um, that just you know, what can he do? They they also need to find a point guard. They oh, don't definitely. they don't really have a submitted number one point guard that you can feel good about. You know, I know they talked about Caleb Mills with becoming more of a distributor this season. Haven't really seen that yet. Jim War- Worley hasn't really taken that step. I-, I think they that's a big part of it. You see this offense become hero ball. You see it become disjointed. Um, some standing around. Uh, a point guard fixes that, you know. So I, I think that could. I mean, you you put a point guard in there. You you put a, a a Scotty Barnes in there. You know, like thing things look way better. So it could it could be a simple fix. Um, I think they've got some pieces to work with. It's just, you know, it's the worst combination imaginable when you talk about inexperience, front-loaded schedule, injuries, uh, and, yeah, t- tough to watch. But this this Florida game, I mean, coming up, it is a game where we talk about effort, we talk about rebounding, things like that. This is a game where they can play with some pride, right? They, they can go into it and say, okay, we're 0-3, like let's play our tails off and 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 see what happens, you know. Like th- this is a program over the years that has won a lot of games that they weren't expected to win. And maybe when their backs are against the wall and they're playing a rival, maybe this is a game where they finally play inspired. I mean, um, you know, I think we talked about this before as well. I am excited. You know, not excited. That's not the right word. I'm interested to see how Hamilton game plans against Colin Castleton because they don't. Unless Naheem gets back tomorrow. Or on Friday, it's gonna be interesting because Castleton has back-to-back thirty-point performances, and you know he could easily get thirty and twenty in this game against Florida State on Friday. Yeah, no, I I couldn't believe that he's already back again at Florida. Again, another one of those Perry Ellis type players who's been there for seven hundred years, and I'm wondering if he's older than I am. Um, but uh, yeah, he's a great he's a great player. Um, Don't worry. He's a great player. Uh, so, um, you know, let, let's let's move on to women's basketball. Uh, Florida State now three and zero. I thought their most impressive win so far was was the Kent State one. You know, we talked about that uh, last podcast, but again, just a little bit different than the men's team in that, like, this is an exciting brand to watch. Like a lot of points, and Tanaya Latson is special. You know, uh, she was ACC Player of the Week, right? So, um, ACC Player and Rookie of the Week. So that's a yeah. you know nice rare thing for her to um, sweep. You know, and she's a talented player. I think she's up down to she's all the way down to twenty seven points a game now, Carter. So, <laughs> yeah, she she really uh, she really regressed and had a nineteen point game. Just a tough performance. <laughs> now, um, Georgia State 
is um you know a lot of people look at score was I think it was um eighty five eighty I think the final score for that one. Yep. I will say Georgia State is an athletic team, and um, um, I think um, one of the guys was talking about the post game was talking about um, they're playing Xavier next, so like that's gonna be a tough test for them as well. So it's not like Georgia State's not a great it, um, it was not a great effort, great um, showing from them, but you know Sunday two o'clock game, third game of the season, they're still trying to figure each other out. The, more importantly for them, that was the first game they had all ten players available with um, um uh, what's her name playing um. Maria. Maria Gordon, yep. Yeah, yeah. She got back in, so they have all ten players available again now. So that was that's huge for them. So I think some of that was also just making sure they were getting more players playing time because you still got to keep your players fresh at this point in the season. Yeah, it it'll be it'll be fun. I mean, again, Wednesday, Friday, next Friday, it's a, it's a fun time. And then really, I mean, let's talk about next Friday because. It, Florida, Florida State football, storied rivalry, awesome, awesome games. But lately, it hasn't had a lot of relevance. It's it's very similar to the whole Miami, Florida State thing where it's like, man, uh, FSU hasn't really held up their end of the bargain. Florida, Florida's had some stinker years um, as well. But this is, this is a game that I think people should be excited about because Florida has had a recent surge here where I think – Fans, fans, that fan base is starting to see some, some improvement and and some, you know, big picture growth that they they think can project to the next season. Florida State the same way, and it's like, man, there's actually stakes in this game. There's actually like both teams and both fan bases feel good about the directions of both of these programs now. Yeah, I mean, um, who knew that releasing your best player, the defensive player, was the cure all to that the worst defense in the country, but, you know, that apparently worked. I mean, of course, they played Texas A&M and South Carolina, so it's not like, you know, they yeah. played some great offenses, but, you know, it's still a step for that program, but um, obviously they'll be tested against Jordan Travis, 75, um, you know, the team, the school leads the um, country at 75 explosive plays of 20 yards or more. Once you get to bigger yards, they actually fall a little behind doing research, but... Um, 20 yards or more, they're, 75 is the most in the country. So, Yeah, and, I mean, Florida gives up a lot of a lot of plays on, on defense. They've done better against some pretty bad offenses, but, but yeah, I, I really think this could be a game where um, I think, uh, like, Florida State should not have a problem scoring the football. I'm very curious to see what happens defensively because we've seen them play at an unbelievable level the last couple of weeks, not against great offenses. I'm going to say, like, obviously Georgia Tech, Miami, awful offensively. Syracuse, they're just a different team, right? Like, Garrett Schrader's not healthy. Sean Tucker's not right. They've been bad against, you know, everything they've played their last few games. Um, not trying to discredit them. I'm just saying I think Florida's a bigger challenge offensively. And when you have the X factor of Anthony Richardson, who knows what you're going to get? Now, Anthony Richardson, it could be a three-interception day and 106 passing yards, but it could also run for 150 and and you know score four total touchdowns on you. You just never really know. Yeah, no, so in doing my research, Florida is actually tied in the country for 70-plus um, yard plays. They have five of them. They're tied with you know um, the Air Force, Army, and Middle Tennessee, so... Some real juggernauts on that list, but you know, um, <laughs> but you know, last week we saw um, against um, South Carolina, um, ETN broke out a um, eighty-five yard touchdown run, which is just ridiculous to watch because you're like this guy. You could see he might be more talented than his brother playing on Sundays already. Yeah, um, Andrew Richardson had like you know a sixty-yard touchdown run against um, Texas A&M, where it did not look like he was trying at all. Like it was like, oh, are you running as hard as you can, sir? <laughs> and he broke away, so it's a team that's interesting that you know will definitely challenge Florida State with the um, offensive firepower power they have. That's gonna be a shootout, probably, which is gonna be you know um, Bobby Brown's probably gonna be like, what what's going on here? He's not gonna be happy about that. Yeah, I I um I I really think you know I wrote a story uh, yesterday, or I guess it was today uh, Tuesday about Trey Benson. And just how he's really come on these last few games. 
And these last two games could be huge for him as well. Florida's got one of the worst run defenses on Florida State's schedule. I think Georgia Tech might be the only team that's worse. Uh, Louisiana, you know, let's face it, not not a great team. But uh, Trey Benson, before the year, said, I want to get 1,000 yards rushing. Right now he's at 774, and I really think it's possible. He's got three, three straight games. games. Yeah, three, he's three games left too, so – Three games left. I think he could get it in two games. I, I really do. And um, he's second in the country in yards per carry. Uh, and that's why he's so close. You know, when I looked before the season, at, you know, Florida State has 13,000 yard rushers in its history. Every single one of them had at least 150 carries. And the, the only, the only, you know, Every single one of them but one guy had at least 170. That one guy was work done. Two separate years, he had less than 170. So really, unless your name's work done, you need at least 170 carries to run for 1,000 yards. Well, here Trey, here Trey Benson is. He's got 105 carries, and he's already almost up to 800 yards. He could get to that 1,000-yard threshold well before 150 carries. Um, and it's just – it's. Again, it it's it's crazy to just see the growth that that guy has made in one year, having come off such a major injury, have, having had six total carries in college coming into it. You you you, you listen to him. You heard him say he had an anxiety attack before the Duquesne game. He was he was not really in his element that first six games of the year, where it just it it he didn't seem to have the feel for the game. But now and he it's still like hundred yards against Duquesne. Which is the crazy part, you know? yeah, yeah. But now it's like it is. It is like a light bulb has come off for him, and now, I mean, he's running better than any running back Florida State has had since Dalvin Cook. He he is running better than Cam Akers did. Uh, he's running better than you know uh, Jay Sean Corbin. Those guys, and he's overtaken Trey Sean Ward, Lawrence Tillafilly. Uh, this is the player we saw all off season. I mean. Ever since the first few practices, I was sold on this guy. Once he came out in the spring game, I was like, all right. The only question was the confidence, the injury, whether he'd get injured again, what kind of workload he'd see. But when you just watched him move in space, you knew immediately this was the best running back on the roster. Now it's come together for him, and it's going to be going to be a, a fun career to watch for him because if he doesn't go to the draft you know, and he comes back next year, I mean, you're talking about a, a season to remember for Trey Benson if he comes back in, in 2023, especially behind an offensive line that has really improved this year. Oh, definitely. It's been, it's been fun to watch him play. And, um, you know, it's interesting just watching him, you know, every time he touches the ball, he makes someone miss. He forces a tackle. He makes someone. He makes a defender look stupid. Like, no, Trey, he has, that guy has a family. <laughs> <laughs> and he gets better every time he carries it. it. It's so weird. It's like every carry, it's like he's learning on every carry he has. And, yeah, I mean, defenders just, I mean, you look at the PFF grades, he's number one in elusive rating. He's number one in breakaway percentage uh, in the country. He has forced, like, the, I think he's tied for the seventh most missed tackles in the country. And that's despite having, like, Half the carries is all the guys around him. It's and crazy. one thing I think you've noticed, and I've noticed, is I mean, uh, he's picked up from teammates like Treshawn Ward. We praised after the first game against the game, you know, that patience Treshawn Ward has, and we've said that you know all year. But all of a sudden, Trey Benson is being able to sit back there a little bit longer and sh- see the hole that he needs to go to. And I think that's why Norvell is giving him more carries, why he's getting more you know touches, is because he's becoming a complete running back. The guy can he uh, you know. He doesn't have a ton of catches out of the backfield, but he can, he can catch a ball out of the backfield. When you have two Philly, you know, he, that guy's better at catching the ball out of the backfield. I think you want to use him more because, you know, yeah. he's going to make defenders look silly as well. So, But Benson Choney can catch a ball out of the backfield as well. But Benson's the kind of guy you have to scheme a little bit for him. He has to kind of uh, get, gain some steam and, and, and really get rolling. Whereas I feel like Ward and, and Toafili, you can put them in space a little bit more, you know, uh, catching passes and stuff like that. Uh, so what it really is, I mean, it's a, it's cool to watch these guys because it's the very different skill sets that all kind of blend 
really well together. Um, and one other thing I want to talk about, we'll go to, we'll talk a little bit about Louisiana. Um, Louisiana, twenty-four point underdog. We're not really expecting anything crazy here, but something to watch is red shirts. You know who's who's at the four-game limit, who's close to it. You know, Mike Norvell talked about. Oh, we thought about putting AJ Duffy in against Syracuse, but we didn't want to, you know, risk anything and and get him to that four game limit. He's at two right now, three games left. Like, let, let's just in case anything crazy happens, let's keep him at that two game mark for now because we'll probably want to play him against Louisiana. So, you know, those are the kind of things they're deciding. Just real quick, I mean, I think two guys that I'm I think are worth watching in this final stretch to see, are they redshirting? Uh, Julian Armella, a, a, a freshman offensive tackle, he's at four games already. And I think I think with, with how healthy their O-line is now, my thought is let the guy redshirt. You, you don't need him in these last few games. Now, if, if there are injuries and you need it, like, okay, let's do it. But don't burn the guy's redshirt. Shirt. He's at four games. Ronnie Hill's another one who is at three games. Really talented young running back for this team. I don't think you need to burn the guy's red shirt. You got three guys you like ahead of him. Play him against Louisiana, sure, but uh, after that, like, let's let's. Well, I'm, not, I'm not even sure he plays against Louisiana because he might be one that you'd rather play in the bowl game, right? He could be. I mean, it could be CJ Campbell time, you know. Um, and I wouldn't blame him, you know. Uh, but again, bowl game, you can't always rely on that because y- you might. It might be a really close game, you know. So I, I don't know. And we'll I think um, I do think like um, Norvell probably, and you know, this is speculation. I think Norvell has an idea. The coaching staff has an idea of like of the three who's not coming back, who's coming back: Benson, Ward, and you know, yeah. totally. They probably have, you know, I guess Ward can't come back, right? No, all, all of them are redshirt juniors. All of them, so. all of them are redshirt sophomores. They can all come all back. So they're all coming back. You know, they all can come back in theory. Um, I can't see Tofilly leaving. I can't see Ward leaving. Maybe he's got word from Benson that can I'm leaving. And if Benson's, you know, leaving, you know, you could probably be like, you know, let's let's do you a favor. We're not going to play you too much in the bowl game. You know, so I, th- I, th- I think we'll see um, Hill in this game. I don't think he's going to play the bowl game, but I'm just doing a scenario. Could, there, you know? I mean, there could be opt-outs. You never know. Like, I mean, there happens all the time. If Benson goes to the draft, then you can see him opting out. I never say never. Not saying it's going to happen, think, uh, but I think Carter said he's opting out of the bowl game, guys. <laughs> no, 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 I'm not. <laughs> but hey, these are things to watch, though. These these the red shirts. I mean, in a game where not a lot is happening, you want to pay attention to the future. The fourth quarter does matter a little bit because you're you're like, okay, what what do these some of these backups look like? You know, I mean, Tate Bonemaker, AJ Duffy. If they're going to see AJ Duffy make some throws, he's going to be you know. I think they'll probably get because. I wonder if this is a game where they say, you know, Tate, we like you. You've got some playing time. Let's get AJ Duffy some um, extensive time. Like it, it could be one of yeah. those, like you know, as soon as Jordan Travis comes out in the third quarter, it's go straight to Duffy. Like, hey, let's get you some extensive work because there's not a ton of games left for you. So I'm not saying that's going to happen. I'm just throwing in a scenario out there. It could happen. Oh yeah, I could see that happening. No, I, I, I I'm right there with you. And I think too, what's interesting is. Florida State, I mean, I you see it some places, but not not super common. They don't care when they're up forty. They'll throw the ball. They'll they'll try to get the most meaningful reps that they can for their backups. They don't care if it hurts Miami's feelings that Tate Rodemaker is throwing a you know thirty yard bomb down the field because that's what's going to make Tate Rodemaker better. It's not going to make him better to just sit back there and hand the ball off four hundred times. I actually really like it. Now, maybe don't get too crazy with it. Maybe don't do a Philly special up by 40. Uh, but, you know, uh, I think overall, like, this is this is uh, <clears throat> meaningful reps for these guys because they give them meaningful reps. They're not, hey, let's just hand it off to C.J. Campbell 500 times and then call it a day. They're, they're throwing the ball downfield. They're leaving some guys in there. Malik McLean was someone that played a lot of snaps in the second half against Syracuse. Because that's someone that, you know, should have a, a very promising future in this program. So something to watch for sure. Uh, Essen, what are you uh, what are you doing score prediction wise on this one? Um, let's see. Um, I think I mentioned the score earlier to someone else. So I'll say um, forty nine seven. 
49-7. I'm going to go 41-10. And I'm, I'm going to, yeah, I think they'll score a touchdown. Three straight weeks without a touchdown allowed. Just there's no way, right? Like there's no way. So I, I'm just going to say that. But, I mean, this defense is really showing up. They want to shut them out. That's the big thing to watch. Jared Verse in his post-game press conference against Syracuse was kind of like, hey, I, you know, three points is cool and all, but we want it to be zero, you know? So, like, I think that's going to be a goal for them. Can they shut them out? Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they did, but I'm just going to go based off of regression patterns and guess that they'll give up a touchdown. That's fair. And, um, I think one thing to remember the, for this game is that a lot of people are going to take um, for granted is Boring sold in, um, you know, Georgia Tech, Miami, and um, Syracuse get to play Florida State almost every year. You know, they play Florida State a lot. This is Louisiana's first trip to Tallahassee. This is their first time playing against, um, you know, against Florida State. This, to them, is, you know, they're, they're looking to become bowl eligible, looking for six months. They're going to be motivated for that. But mm-hmm. also, this is, you know, they saw what Jacksonville State did last year. Not that they're going to go into expecting that, but, you know, they know what this game means because, you know, if they have one play where, you know, they throw a Hail Mary at the end of the half and it's caught and they make a great play on it, guess what? That's me. We play on ESPN forever. And they know that's their one. That's their best shot of that because, you know, no one watches Louisiana otherwise. I'm sorry. <laughs> you tell me people in Louisiana don't watch Louisiana? No, they watch okay. LSU. <laughs> <laughs> they watch – They, I mean – Raging Cajun are better than, um, you know, Tigers. True. Uh, no, nah, but uh, anyway, uh, so uh, any other stories you want to talk about that you've written this week? You talked a little bit about the explosive play story. Um, got soccer coming up. Yeah, I mean, um, actually, one thing, gonna, let me pull this up quickly, is um, I think I'd be kind of interested to the Tallahassee area is um, – I want to make sure I get their names right um, – FSU um, women's cross-country team is going to Nationals on Saturday. And two girls on the team, Allison Churchill and Caitlin Wilkie, are um, from Child High School, are a part of the team. So I'll be talking to them actually Wednesday um, afternoon for a feature on them. You know, two Child's teammates, and they're doing well at Florida State. So it's kind of a cool local connection that they're doing well. So that's going to be a fun story. I'll have a story probably about um, Lauren Flynn played for um, um, his um, – scored a goal, and we got her post-game for um, FSU's win over at Florida Gulf Coast. Her sister um, actually played for Penske at Tennessee four years ago when they went to the semifinals and had their best season ever. So going to kind of do a feature, um, hopefully talk to both of them. I'll get Lauren for sure. I'm trying to get Megan, her sister, to um, get to talk to her as well. Kind of a fun feature on that, you know, because like, – um, what Penske told me, and you guys will um, uh, um, probably heard already in the pod, is um, Lauren was the first person to um, come back, decide to come back. And that kind of opened the, um, didn't really open the floodgates, he said, but it kind of got everyone else to start coming back as well. When they went into a transfer portal this offseason after the new coaching hire. So. Yeah, very, very cool. Yeah, I, I didn't know about that, so I'm really uh, looking forward to reading it. And uh, going to be a fun rest of the postseason for this soccer team. And uh, I, one one other story I want to plug for myself, uh, a, a recruiting story. I'm just – I'm going to leave it at that. I'm uh, really excited to write about this week. Uh, with it being Louisiana week, thought I'd just kind of dip into recruiting a little bit and, and, and talk about something kind of, you know, off the, the, off the path a little bit. Uh, so I think you guys are really going to like it. Should come out Thursday or Friday. So uh, – Looking forward to, to hearing how you guys like it. Um, and, and again, you know, we'll be at the game noon Saturday at Doe Campbell Stadium. You can follow our coverage at Tallahassee.com. You can follow us on Twitter. We're at No Sports. Um, and yeah, please leave a rating. Please read a, a review uh, on Apple Podcasts for us. And uh, if you guys have any questions that that you want us to answer on our podcast, we'd be we'd be happy to hear them. So our DMs are open, and, and we love uh, hearing from you guys. So uh, with that, uh, we appreciate you guys for listening. Thank you, guys.
just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.